So, Thena didn't write me an intro, and all I know is that this case takes place in good old Indiana at IU. So do with that what you will. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Wait until you hear about how Corey and I saved Thena from their car. Again. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I'm Thena. And I'm Kylie. We're not going to talk about my car. Yes, we are. No. Yes. Uh, it was so traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're traumatized. So my car broke down again, you guys. Again. Uh, like, okay, I've never had this many car issues with like a single car in my life. I've had a lot of like car issues in my life. But I will say, I don't think any of them have been like caused by me, which is pretty nice yeah no it's been random yeah so i'm i've been having with the same car just non-stop transmission issues and i've gotten my transmission replaced this is gonna be my fourth time in two years every time i get one like something's faulty about it something happens something goes wrong okay well this is the most recent time <laughs> i was again also my car only breaks down at four-way intersections that are like fucking busy intersections like i really feel like busy. the last time well the last two times you were on our way on your way to our house no, I was on my way home from the Taylor Swift concert and it happened in front of that tattoo shop and I had to push my car into the tattoo shop. And then I it started working when Corey went to go look at it and he's like, there's nothing wrong with your car. And I was like, OK, so Margie and I were going to go to Target to buy a pillow. And on the way there, oh, I remember that Yeah, in a four way intersection, my car died again <laughs> and the cop was pissed. But this time, OK, because you did that on purpose. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. He was very angry. Mr. Policeman. <laughs> So this time I was on my way to Corey and Kylie's, which really funny in the group chat. I always tell them when I'm on my way and I was like, on my way. And then later Corey's like, is <laughs> no, it you too weren't. soon to say no, you weren't on your way? <laughs> oh, he off, said, Corey. ha ha, no, you weren't. And then I said, ha ha, too soon. Fucking assholes. <laughs> so my car died in a four-way intersection. Again. Well, it didn't die. It just, uh, you press the gas like all the way to the floor. It doesn't move, right? Well, I managed to get it to get into a parking lot because there's like a gas station on that four-way intersection, but not, not into a parking spot, just in the parking lot lot just like in the lot not in a, not a parking spot not in a convenient spot just in the lot at least you were over on the other side yeah, so you I was were kind yeah. of you out were of the way. kind of safe yeah uh i got really shitty looks from people that wanted to park though they were like uh you're not pulled up far enough i'm like, I'm like no uh, my car shit. doesn't move <laughs> <laughs> so i call well also i had no service in the place i'm at and my phone was at like four percent and i'm like this is good this is real this good, is good. <laughs> this is good so i call Corey and i call margie and i'm like everyone come find me i'm at a gas station i'm at this one come find me before my phone dies bye and everyone gets there and we find out that we can't tow my vehicle but that's okay i said Corey, don't worry my car still works and he's like oh i thought you said it doesn't work i was like no no, no it works in reverse <laughs> He's like, excuse me. I was like, yeah, no, no, no. Only the drive doesn't work. But transmission, like my transmission drive doesn't work. But like if you flip it in reverse, it works. Well, so we had to make a decision because we were halfway between my house and my work. Because the problem is, is there was a lot of turns to get to my work or a busy, busy road to get to my house. So Kylie was in the back. Cor uh, in Corey's truck. In Corey's truck. Which I don't enjoy driving. Corey was in my car in the middle, and then Margie and I were in her big SUV in the front, and we had to sandwich Corey so that he could drive in reverse the whole way to my work. 
Oh, yeah, we got some weird stares from people. <laughs> did you hear the guy in the van that was like, get her done? No, did you see the guy on the uh, the lawnmower who kind of like waved at us like we yeah. were like, yeah. yeah, he said something, but I couldn't tell what he said. It was interesting. So you guys saw Gran Turismo. Yeah. I told you it's phenomenal, right? Oh, my Speaking God. Of cars. Oh, my God. Those are Nissans also, but those ones work. <laughs> those ones do work. Yeah, yes. those ones work better than my car. <laughs> I have a Nissan, too. That's the joke bit. here, guys. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So tonight's case is Lauren Spear. Have you ever heard of this case? No. At the year this happened, I had literally just gotten accepted to the college that she goes to the same year and I ended up not going. So the only reason this is so, so it could have been you. Well, no, that's not what I'm <laughs> thinking at all. I'm thinking like, oh, my God, like. Being there would have been scary for me is how I'm thinking of it. Like I would have seen this on the campus news. I would have been terrified and stuff. Um, So I have a very like kind of weird bond with this case. I really want this case solved. It's an unsolved case. It's technically considered not a cold case anymore. They've considered it solved in a sense, but it's unsolved. She hasn't been found. This is a missing persons case. For those of you that hate that, I'm really, really sorry. Um, But Lauren Spear was a 20 year old college student who went missing from Bloomington, Indiana at IU in 2011. The trail for Lauren ran cold. Even after 12 years, we still don't really have any answers of what happened to her that night. just want to thank all of our friends and family. I can hear voice. And she's just such a loving girl. It's been more than a dozen years since Charlene Spearer heard her daughter Lauren's voice. You almost don't want to remember the good things because it's paralyzing. So paralyzing that Lauren's parents have stopped doing interviews instead. The Bloomington Police Department has said the case remains active. However, they don't really have much that they've gained in the last few years, but they're still keeping it open. In 2021, they said they've received over 36,000 tips since Lauren disappeared in 2011. Dang. Most people have presumed Lauren's no longer alive, but since her case remains unsolved, the huge question is like, what happened? Like, we still need to know. I mean, things get solved randomly. Yeah. Years. I mean, Delphi case. Years. Exactly. Which is an Indiana case. Even Exactly. Like. Lauren Spear was born January 17th, 1991. Okay. Oh, no. You know how I do my birthday thing? Uh-huh. So she's a Capricorn. Mm-hmm. This birthday, January 17th, is one of the craziest days I've ever seen in my whole life. I could not pick who to write down. Betty White, Jim Carrey, Steve Harvey, Michelle Obama, Austin Knight from Waterparks, Lil Jean, Ben Franklin, Plus, like, a ton more. Like, I literally only named a few. Oh, and it's National Ben Franklin Day? Yeah. He has a freaking day? Yeah. I mean, he did help create the Jersey Devil in the archives. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. But that is so many people all over the place. Like, that's a yeah. wild list already. So, Lauren was a really good person. Um, She was really kind. She was helpful. A lot of people said she was a bright light. Like, she's one of those people, you know, she walks in, she lights up a room. Just literally, like, every case. It's so sad. It's always these it's people. It's always that. The the best people. Lauren spent one of her high school spring breaks in Israel planting trees for the Jewish Na- National Fund. She was just like a really good person. She loved giving back. She loved being happy. She loved doing things for other people. Lauren graduated from Edgemont High School in 2009 and was accepted into Indiana University in Bloomington, where she was going to study textiles merchandising. Lauren grew up in Scarsdale, New York, with her big sister, Rebecca, and her parents, Charlene and Robert. 
There's actually not a lot published, though, beyond what I just told you about Lauren's younger life and her childhood, because uh, it didn't like come out before the case. And after that, like her parents were more worried about just getting the information about what happened that night and finding her. So a lot of the information you find is geared towards the night of the disappearance and what occurred. But I kind of wanted to give you guys an example of like who she is because she's just so friendly and bubbly because that will come across throughout the, the case. At the time of it, Lauren was a sophomore at IU. She is 4'11". She's about 90 pounds. She has long blonde hair. She has blue eyes. And in every photo you see of Lauren, she's always like smiling and she just looks full of happiness. She's she's so like adorable. Lauren had been dating her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf for the past three years. They had met at Camp Tawanda, which is a summer camp in the mountain town of Honesdale, Pennsylvania. The story he's going to Jesse will come in and out of the the he also goes to IU, so he'll come in and out. But I wanted to at least bring you guys up to speed. She does have a boyfriend and he's not in a lot of the case, which a lot of people at first were like, where's their boyfriend? That's suspicious. It's always the boyfriend. It's always the boyfriend. No, that's only the case in the movie screen. Guys, chill. But the story of the disappearance starts the night before. It was a Thursday on June 2nd, 2011. Lauren had several friends over to her apartment over at the Smallwood Plaza Apartments. They were watching the 2011 NBA playoffs while all just drinking and having a good time. Bloomington is a college town. And because of that, like a lot of college students always go out on the weekends. They have a lot of fun. Like Bloomington has a huge population, like in general, it has two high schools. It has Bloomington North, Bloomington South. It's kind of like a mini Indianapolis if you've been there, although it's just like more spread out. I I would say because like the campus makes up part of it, but then like the high schools are really big and they make up part of it. So it's just like a big city, but spread out in a longer area. And then it's like surrounded by these tiny little like more like homey towns like Nashville and Brown County, where they almost feel like you took like a step back in time. But Bloomington specifically is the college area. So college kids are out. They're having a good time. And because of that, you know, since it is a college town, college kids, if you're a college kid, you know where you can get into trouble. Like if you want to go underage drink, you know the places you can. If you want to go sneak into a bar, you know the places you can. College kids aren't dumb. They know what they're doing, right? So at the time, Lauren was only 20 years old and they knew just where they needed to go if you wanted to go out and drink. But Since it was easier to just like pregame at home and cheaper, they were like, we're going to do that. But then we will head out like after we watch the game. So while watching the game with friends, Lauren was texting her boyfriend, Jesse. Jesse was at his own apartment. He lived on the north end of campus and he was watching a different game. He was watching the Knicks, I think. So Lauren was texting him and she had texted him saying she's probably going to go to bed after the basketball game's over. Because at first she was like, oh, maybe we're not going to go out. Maybe we're not going to get into anything. But then slowly her plans started changing. She ended up deciding she was going to go hang out with some friends instead of going to sleep. Probably someone had asked her to come hang out and she changed her mind. Around 1230 a.m., Lauren and one of her friends she was hanging out with named David Ron. So she hangs out with David Ron and they decide to go over to a different friend's house. They drunkenly make their way over two blocks away to Jason Rosenbaum's apartment at the Five North Townhome. 1230 a.m. is way too late for me to go out. Yeah, I would have been so exhausted. I'm <laughs> so tired just even thinking Especially about it. Especially if I'm drunk. I'm not drunk stumbling around two blocks too far. Jason Rosenbaum, he goes by Jay. So we're going to call him that for the remainder of the episode. Several friends were hanging out at Jay's place, including his neighbor, Corey Rossman, and Corey's roommate, Michael Beth. Lauren had known Jay for quite a few years. She actually met him at the same camp that she met her boyfriend a few years before. And... 
because of this, like she kind of had like a little circle of friends in college. And this was like most of the people in that circle, because even if like they weren't in her circle, her friends were friends with them. So she had like at least kind of heard of them. But like, for example, Lauren had only met that Corey guy a few days prior, which is the neighbor. So like maybe she didn't know Corey, but Jay knew Corey and she knew Jay. So it's one of those situations. Gotcha. Now she met Corey a few days before at the Indy 500. She had met Corey and Corey made some kind of like interesting, gross comments. Like the fact that he said he was interested in Lauren, which like, okay, that's fine. Lauren's a cute girl. That's fine. No. But then people were like, hey, yeah, she has a boyfriend. He's like, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm still interested. Sounds great. Ooh, okay. That's not the vibe. That's already kind of like a Ugh, it's it, we're not a fan of Corey right away. There were about 10 people at Jay's house and everyone was drinking and having a good time. Witnesses say they remember seeing Lauren continuing to drink. But remember, she by the time she got there, she was already kind of drunk, they said. Some people say they saw thought they saw Lauren taking clonopin and using cocaine. Now, nope, those aren't good. No. And Lauren had been arrested for public intoxication nine months before the disappearance. And after the disappearance happens, like at the end of this case, police did find a small amount of cocaine in her room. So potentially people saying they saw her doing this this night, it could be true, but we've never gotten what a 100% like confidence of like, yes, it happened. After hanging out, Lauren decided she wanted to head out to one of the bars to continue the evening. It is so late. It is so late. So Lauren and them make a decision. Corey and Lauren are seen leaving Jay's apartment and heading to Kilroy's. And Corey's the one that made the the kind of weird comment the day before. Lauren and Corey were seen entering Kilroy's sports bar on Friday. It's also a sports bar. Like it's like a it's it's very a uh, a bro sportsy like kind of vibe in there. They have a lot of like it's like a B dubs. I was going to say, of, like, is it well, is it like wings, et cetera? Because they have like the yeah. volleyball and the, yeah, yeah, they have the volleyball. It has like sports all over all the TVs, like there's jerseys on the wall sometimes, things like that. Yeah. So they enter Kilroy Sports Bar on Friday, June 3rd. So now we've rolled over into the next night. It's on Friday. It's 146 a.m. at this point. Nope. And <laughs> and we know that because there's video surveillance footage that tracks the group throughout the night. And as the like group moves around with different combinations of the people featuring Lauren, Jay, David, Mike and Corey, you see different people on the cameras, you see them in different areas. And that's how we have a lot of like parts of the story like that link up because we have footage. While at Kilroy's, Lauren takes off her shoes to walk around on the sand covered patio and she ends up leaving her shoes here and is barefoot the rest of the night for the rest of the case. Also keep that in mind. She is barefoot all night. At 2.27 a.m., Lauren's caught on camera exiting Kilroy's with Corey still. There she left her shoes and her cell phone in the bar. Corey and Lauren then walk towards Lauren's apartment complex. At 2.30 a.m., Lauren is seen entering the Smallwood Plaza apartments where she lives. A man named Zach Oaks, who was reportedly like friends with Lauren's boyfriend, Jesse, saw a drunken Corey and Lauren stumbling up the stairs to the fifth floor where she lived. He was there in the hallway with three of his male friends. Zach asked Corey if Lauren was all right because, you know, he knows that this girl's taken. This isn't her boyfriend. She's drunk. She's coming home with with somebody else. Right. Yeah. He's a little like worried. Corey responded something along the lines of she's okay. I got her. Zach said that he told Corey to take Lauren back to her apartment, like very like authoritative, like, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like take her back home safe, you know. Corey supposedly started cursing at Zach and they started an argument and Zach supposedly punched Corey in the face and Corey fell down. He Corey then later tells authorities that when he fell down, he hit his head and it makes him lose a lot of the memories of the night. And he's kind of like he's already drunk and then he gets hit in the face and then he falls and hits his head. He's blank from like here to the end of the night. 
And Lauren's just fucking shoeless, Mm -hmm. cell phone-less, stumbling around. (laughs) Around this time, it's still 2.30 a.m.-ish. Jesse, her boyfriend, said that he ended up falling asleep. He was also kind of like texting her. And if she left her cell phone behind, he probably was like, oh, like she stopped texting me. And he kind of dozed off. Like if if you want to know my opinion, like that's yeah. what I'm thinking happened. No, that that happens. The surveillance video shows Lauren stumbling inside the apartment building, not like into her apartment itself, just like into the like area she lives. And she almost falls down at this point, but she never fully gets inside the apartment. Corey helps her and then like get up to the fifth floor, but then they leave again at 2.48 a.m. Again, they don't make it inside her apartment. Lauren's seen leaving and entering an alley that runs between College Avenue and Morton Street, like right by her apartment. At some point around this time when Lauren was leaving the apartment area, witnesses say they saw Lauren sitting down on some concrete steps and she was just like falling backwards because she was so drunk. They said when she did that, one of those times she hit her head really hard and it like made a noise, like a thunk noise. And they were worried about her. And so they asked Corey if she was okay. Now, remember, Corey says he has no memory of this because he also hit his head, but he must have said like she's fine and he's taking care of her or something like that. But the witnesses say even after the two get up, she starts like Lauren's literally just kind of like stumbling around at this point. So she makes it through this alley. And at 2.51 a.m., a different surveillance camera on the other end of the alley picks up Lauren exiting the other direction of the alley. So she makes it all the way through it and she starts walking towards an empty parking lot. While in the alleyway, she drops her purse and keys that get later found. So now she doesn't have her purse. She doesn't have her keys. She doesn't have her cell phone. She doesn't have her shoes. Now, the cameras still have surveillance and they show a drunk Lauren stumbling to try to walk correctly. And somewhere along this journey through the alley and towards the empty parking lot and stuff, Corey decides to pick Lauren up and toss her over his shoulder in a fireman's carry. Like, you know, that thing where you kind of like throw. Yeah. And the two of them start to make their way to Corey's apartment instead. When they get to Corey's apartment, his roommate, Michael Beth from earlier, he was home and he says Corey and Lauren were so drunk and unable to contain themselves. Corey ended up vomiting on the stairs and they had like carpeted stairs, I think, if I remember correctly. Gross. And so Michael was just he was over it. And so he sends Corey to go to bed. And so he walks Corey up to his bed and he gets him there and Corey just like falls asleep. So then Michael comes back downstairs and Lauren is super drunk and she's just she's just too drunk to get home. So he's like, you need to stay here. He's trying to convince her to crash at their place. He says that he cares about her safety. She needs to stay. And she keeps arguing and being like, no, I want to go home. I want to go to my place. I want to get home tonight. At 3.30 a.m., Michael, the roommate, calls Jay, the neighbor, who is the one that's known her the longest. Because remember, technically, like, Corey just met her the day before. I don't know when Michael met her. He could have met her that same time, or maybe he's known her longer. But And they ask if Jay is willing to come take care of the drunk Lauren, like, the the drunken Lauren that they have. He's like, uh, like, I don't want to do this. You know, like she's kind of just like a a kid. They're all passing off at this point. Michael claimed that Lauren was saying she still wants to go out and go drinking, though, throughout the night. Like she's not done. That doesn't that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like she's also so drunk. So she probably doesn't even realize how late it is and everything else. Yeah. Because once you've hit that point, like it's just fun for you. You're giggly. You're happy. You're just wanting to have fun. You don't want the fun to end because then, you know, there's a hangover coming. You don't want that. So Lauren leaves and she goes next door to Jay's apartment. And by the time she arrives, she gets to Jay's apartment and she has a black eye. Isn't that kind of um. Oh, crazy. Like, so here's what happens. She has a a black eye and it's like this large bruise across her face. And they said that 
When they ask, Jay says earlier in the night, she drunkenly fell and got hurt. And either like he heard this from her or he heard it from Corey. But she specifically says she can't remember exactly what happened. She just fell or something. So like she's not worried about it. She's not like, oh, my God. Yeah, someone hit me. Like, but she's like, oh, yeah, like I have a black eye. So then Jay calls Dave Ron. So remember, that was the original guy she showed up at Dave's apartment with from her own house. When he calls Dave, Dave doesn't answer. So then Jay tries calling a different friend who also doesn't answer his phone. Jay doesn't leave a message for either person. And we later find out that he says that it was actually Lauren who placed the two phone calls. It wasn't him. Lauren asked to borrow his cell phone and call these people because she knew her phone was missing. Around 4.30 a.m., Jay ends up telling. So at this point now, this is the story we're hearing the police, but. At 4.30 a.m., Lauren ended up leaving his apartment and Jay told the police that. He said he saw her heading off towards the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue, walking south on College Avenue towards what would be her home, and it's only two and a half blocks away. So he sees her start walking that way, and then he thinks, like, you know, he, he sees her walking. That's the last time anyone sees Lauren, though, when he sees her walking towards her apartment, the two and a half blocks. Jay later tells a private investigator, Mike Seraldo, he had been hired by the Spears and he said that Jay told him that Jay went out on his terrace after Lauren left and he yelled to her in the street, text me when you find your phone. The private investigator said that Jay also said that he's not sure, but he might think he may have seen another individual in the shadows intercept Spear on the corner of 11th and College because he loses sight of her around the corner. A few hours later, with no knowledge of most of the night, Jesse, her boyfriend, texts Lauren because, you know, he doesn't know anything, anything that happened after (laughs) Kilroy's. He doesn't know anything. So he texts Lauren and he ends up receiving a reply from the cell phone almost right away. And it was from an employee at Kilroy's saying that she left her phone there. So Jesse becomes worried because he can't contact or find Lauren. So he reports Lauren as missing to the Bloomington Police Department. Charlene, her mom, said that within the first few hours of finding out her daughter was missing, she called every hospital in and around Bloomington looking for Lori, Lori, sorry, looking for Lauren or any Jane Doe's that could match her description. But no, no one had seen anything or heard anything. Charlene had been out of town visiting her family and Charlene's father. I'm sorry. Uh, Lauren's father drove. No, it was Charlene's father. I was right. Charlene's so her, father, her grandpa. Yeah. Drove her to the airport because uh, Charlene, her mother, took the next flight into Bloomington. Rob, which is Lauren's father now. I'm so sorry. Whew. He had been at their home in New York and he ended up meeting Charlene at the Indianapolis airport on June 5th. The couple drove to Bloomington Police Department, hoping that they had already closed the investigation and that Lauren had been found because they were like, oh, you know, like this is going to get solved. It's going to it's just something crazy happened. She was drunk. Someone picked her up or something. Yeah, something weird. But unfortunately, she was still missing. After meeting with the police, Charlene and Rob created the first missing post for Lauren and Charlene began hanging posters everywhere while Rob was searching the area that Lauren had last been. And this started, you know, popping up on the news. It was all over campus. People were talking about it and stuff. It was something that just right away, like it it took over. People started talking about it. On June 5th, 2011, a woman that had no connection to the Spears had learned of Lauren's disappearance and she started a Twitter feed called at news on Lauren S., Within two weeks, it had 20,000 followers. And some of the retweets about like needing to find Lauren were done by um, Kim Kardashian and Ryan Seacrest. On June 6th, 2011, hundreds of volunteers began the ritual of the three day of a three day daily search for Lauren. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children learned of Spears disappearance and dispatched a rapid response team as well to Bloomington. 
And the organization assigned a missing persons number for Lauren. It was 1173375. At this point, we're starting to lose a little bit of the hope, but her family was not giving up. On June 7th, 2011, the story of Lauren's disappearance aired on NBC uh, Today, Good Morning America, CBS News, like all these things. The parents took place in news conferences, specifically at the Bloomington Police Department. And the Bloomington police executed a search warrant of the Smallwood Plaza apartment to seek security footage. That's when they found the bag of cocaine also. On June 8th, three new things happened. The police divers search Lake Monroe based on a tip they get. And the Indiana State Exercise Police say they investigated Kilroy's. The Colts owner at the time, Jim Ursay, goes on Twitter and he offers a $10,000 reward for Spears' safe return as well. On June 9th, 2011, the Spearer family offered $100,000 for information leading to the daughter's safe return. Police were saying information was pouring in, but they had no suspects at the time. The divers also reported that there was nothing in their, their search of Lake Monroe at that point. On June 10th, 2011, a news conference was held where police say they have 10 persons of interest at this point. On June 11th, 2011, Lauren's story is told in a short segment on America's Most Wanted, and that produces another 350 new tips, but with no breakthroughs. On June 15th, 2011, Bloomington police released enhanced images from the apartment's security cameras that show a white van traveling in the same area where Lauren was last seen within 10 minutes of when she went missing. The images spurred another 500 tips and countless conspiracy theories with no answers. On June 19th, 2011, the Indiana State Police searched the woods southwest of Martinsville after two people riding all-terrain vehicles report unusual odors. Searchers find nothing. On June 20th, 2011, police say the white truck from the video images, they finally like followed up through that, got answers, but it had no ties to the case. They found it. They scoured it for evidence. Nothing turned up. The owner actually was in the area picking up a worker for business. On July 3rd, 2011, a decomposed body was found in the Indianapolis Fall Creek and the Indian, the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department contacts the Bloomington police. But two days later, an autopsy revealed that it was an unidentified black female who had been in the creek for potentially two and a half weeks. On August 16th, 2011, the authorities conduct a nine day search of the Sycamore Ridge landfill of uh, in Pimento, which is south of Terre Haute for clues. The landfill is where the local trash from Bloomington is hauled after stops from the transfer station. Well, while at that transfer station or not the transfer station, the um, landfill in Terre Haute, um, the Bloomington police, the IU police and the FBI all were there to take place in the search. Like it was a big search. On August 17th, Charlene and Rob, the parents left Bloomington to return back to New York because it's their other daughter's birthday. And so they leave. And when they do that, they also have to pack up Lauren's belongings at school. On September 13th, 2011, police find another body near North Vernon. It wasn't Lauren. On September 15th, Kilroy Sports Bar was cited for serving alcohol to Lauren, but they found out she used a fake ID that night, but they were still cited for not knowing that it was a fake ID and serving an underage minor. On October 10th, 2011, a decomposed body was found in a field and it was only four hours away from where Lauren disappeared. It was not Lauren either. On December 20th, 2011, Charlene and Rob made a public statement saying they didn't believe Lauren was still alive at this point, but they still want answers. On February 24th, and also to have to come to that realization. Yeah, like, like I can't even, I can't even imagine. Too much for a family. On February 24th, 2012, the reward for Lauren was now at 2500 No, $250,000. $250, there you go. <laughs> because an anonymous donor had added to it. 
On April 3rd, 2012, a body was found in eastern Illinois and it was going to be DNA tested to see if it was Lauren. It was not. On May 29th, 2012, a similar looking college girl goes missing in Louisiana and authorities start to look into seeing if it has some sort of connection. It doesn't. On April 16th. It doesn't. (laughs) I forgot to put that in there. I just left that one open. My bad. On April 16th, 2013, another female's remains were found in Brown County, which I said is one of the, the like next door over towns. It is not Lauren either. This is really scaring me for how many bodies were just found in Indiana in this right? like, time period. A lot of bodies. Like, was there a serial killer in Indiana around this time? On May 24th, 2013, investigators say they received over 3,000 tips of Lauren's disappearance with no solution at this point. And that was only in 2013. Like, only two, two years, years barely had passed. Yeah. A number of theories started emerging in reference of what could have happened to Lauren Spear that evening. Her parents stated that they believe their daughter is dead, but they've just always wanted more. So based on the level of her intoxication, they said that they're afraid she could have been drugged while at the bar. They said, we felt like someone could have slipped something into her drink at Kilroy's. The family had voiced suspicions about the guys that Lauren was with that night and even about her boyfriend. Jesse Wolf said that he was home, though, in the hours of the time frame that she went missing. And police can neither prove nor disprove his alibi, technically, because he was asleep home with he stopped texting her and he was asleep. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Jesse says that he had nothing to do with it. Like he loved his girlfriend. That's not like that. Her boyfriend's family. So Jesse's family said they have a different theory and they keep talking about it in interviews. Nadine Wolf, which is Jesse's mother, told a story about how Lauren was supposedly asked to leave the summer camp she met him because she had some severe drug use and that over the years it just kept worsening. She said that that's the reason why Lauren is not here with us today, because she had some sort of an accidental overdose that evening while defending that her son, Jesse, had nothing to do with it. And instead, he's now had to deal with losing the love of his life that night. Nadine said the following about Lauren. If Jesse was guilty of anything, he was guilty of taking care of Lauren, who had some serious drug issues. She would abuse to the point where she would black out. Jesse always threatened to call and tell her parents, and she said, if you do, I'll break up with you. My son took care of her for two years while she was in college. The one night she went out without him and did what she did unfortunately cost her her life. This poor little girl is not with us today because of her drug abuse. On top of this, (laughs) I haven't brought this up this whole time. Lauren had a rare heart condition. Oh, she had long QT syndrome. It causes abnormal length intervals within your heartbeat. So this can result in fainting, drowsiness, seizures, and death if it's triggered during an episode. Obviously, these these are very serious and her using drugs would have put a strain on this, including alcohol, actually, like alcohol and or cocaine and or clonopin and or if she was on regular meds for all this, which she probably was. Yeah. Yeah. Like heart medication and alcohol is a very bad. Not a good idea. Yeah. And the police have talked about this and they've kind of like rumored about overdose being the case of this night and like what if she had an overdose and someone covered it up something like that like we don't know Bo Deedle who was a private investigator hired by the Spearer family doubts that a fatal drug overdose was enough motive to hide her death and cover it up like the rumors say yeah that's kind of where I'm at too yeah like okay yeah if she fell down because she had an overdose or she fell down because she had an episode like you find her yeah you would tell someone unless someone like Hook her body. Right. The Spears have talked about theories that there's more to the story that never surfaced, including something that happened with the men that night. Lauren's family said that the men refused to take polygraphs test and they lawyered up too fast that it made them look suspicious. 
However, before you get skeptical here, the men actually say they were really cooperative with the investigation and that some of their parents were telling them not to take polygraph tests and stuff, but they ended up doing that and they took them, but they took police polygraph tests instead of like using the Spears like private investigator polygraphs and stuff. And I think that's where like things got crossed. Oh, so yeah, they, that's fair. Yeah, they took like lawyer appointed third party polygraphs and they passed all of them. But the results weren't made public of exactly what was asked, exactly what happened, things like that. Mm-hmm. They were just passed on to the police and stuff. Beyond that, the Spear family say, stated that they don't think Lauren was abducted and that this didn't seem like some sort of a random occurrence, though. So they have like theories, but they're not sure. Like they don't like totally link up. They're like, we just want answers still. Charlene, her mother, said in a press conference, perhaps it was a terrible accident that happened and we can deal with that. What we can't deal with is what we don't know. Around all of this time, Lauren's parents filed civil lawsuits against Corey, Jay and Michael for their involvement with her daughter leading up to their disappearance. The suits accused the defendants of negligence, alleging that they supplied Lauren with alcohol after she was already visibly intoxicated and they neglected to assure that she was returned safely to her apartment, which likely led to her death. I was thinking that, too. Like, why did everyone keep letting it happen? Yeah. Why did. Well, why didn't anybody go back to her apartment with her Mm -hmm. or go find her phone with her like or make her stay there? Because clearly she's not. And I yeah. we we do have some argument like, OK, well, Jay made those two calls, but potentially Lauren made them from the phone and no one was answering at that point. Take the fucking drunk girl and don't let her leave the apartment. I know that right. sounds kidnappy, but like do but it don't. in a safe way. <laughs> right. The family stated that they hoped the lawsuit would lead to the defendants admitting more information about what occurred that night to Lauren. As part of the lawsuit, they subpoenaed private cell phones and the records and the academic records spanning 134 days before and after the night Lauren disappeared. Why Hoping. would they need the academic records? Seeing maybe if there was like a change. Yeah. Well, here's what I thought. If there was a change in it because of the guilty conscience, you're doing worse. You're doing, the, you know, that they could try maybe like to think something. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, but still all of that is pretty dramatic, even if you were doing bad. Yeah, after plus, that, like it would be your friend just got abducted. Potentially, I think I right. would do bad anyways. I right. don't know. Exactly. In 2013, federal judge Tanya Walton Pratt dismissed the lawsuit against Michael Beth after determining he had no duty in taking care of Lauren. Like she showed up at his place with Corey. Corey was drunk. Michael was he literally taking care yeah, of he was already everything. doing too much. Right. He called Jay. He had Jay come take care of her. Michael shouldn't have even been in this case in the first part. Yeah. Is how she sees it. In 2014, Judge Pratt dismissed the suit against the other two men, stating the following. There could be any number of theories as to what happened to Lauren and what, if any, injuries she may have sustained. Without evidence to prove these theories, it would be impossible for a jury to determine if whatever happened to Spear was a natural and probable consequence of her intoxication without any other intervening acts that would break the casual chain. Lauren's family tried to appeal the ruling, but it had been held up. Lawyers for all the men stated that their clients have cooperated the entire time with police and with private investigators that were hired by the Spear family and that they've passed those private polygraphs. In April of 2015, the Bloomington police announced that there was a possible link between Lauren's case and the murder of another IU student named Hannah Wilson. So this is not any of those cases we've already talked about. Hannah went missing on April 24th, 2015, after visiting the same Kilroy bar that Lauren visited the night she disappeared also. Hannah was seen getting into a taxi via a surveillance camera after some of her friends believed she was too intoxicated to go into the bar. Once the driver took Hannah to her destination, he watched Hannah walk towards her house 
But Hannah's roommates found her belongings sitting on her bed the next morning with their front door wide open. Later that day, Hannah's body was found on a rural, <laughs> rural road. <laughs> that is such a bad word. Rural? In Brown County after being bludgeoned to death. A man oh. named Daniel Messel from Bloomington was arrested for the murder of Hannah after his cell phone was discovered near her body. Despite this crime, they deemed it coincidental and said the two crimes were probably not linked. In 2016, there was a promising lead finally. On January 28th, 2016, the FBI investigated a property in the 2900 block of Old Morgantown Road of Martinsville. It was approximately 20 miles north of Bloomington. According to a statement released by the FBI, investigators were following up on leads and tips in Morgan County regarding the disappearance of Lorgan Spear. That doesn't give us any information. Thank nope. you, Mr. <laughs> FBI. <laughs> <laughs> the property was connected to a man named Justin Wagers. Investigations from Bloomington Police Department and some FBI agents searched the Martinsville property that was owned by the family of Justin. Justin, his mother, and his stepfather all lived on the property, and Justin was known in the area because he was suspected of exposing himself to numerous local women. When the investigators sent cadaver dogs to the property, they alerted that there was potential evidence on the property near a barn that the dogs hit on. Anthropologists conducted a dig. However, nothing was found and no arrests were made. Investigators also towed a white truck from the property that was belonging to Justin, but nothing was released to the public about what happened after that. And then it Grr. was let go. Right. It's so frustrating. Okay. Here's the one where people think that sometimes they've heard of this case before they've heard of this case. Israel Keys. Do you know who Israel Keys is? I think so. Okay. He's so fucked. He's a serial killer. A lot of true crime people know who he is. So mm -hmm. the theory is potentially Lauren could have became a victim of Israel Keys. Israel was known to uh, Israel Keys was known to bury kill kits all around the country and strike whenever he felt the urge. And he did have some in that area. During June 2nd, 2011, Israel Keys had flown into Chicago in the evening and rented a car. He was intending to go to his mother's house in Indiana which was three hours away. However, he didn't arrive until the following afternoon. Lauren fits the ideal description of what a lot of Israel Keyes' victims were. And when he was confronted about Lauren to see if there was some sort of a connection, he did react in a weird, similar fashion to how he reacted when he would get caught about one of his victims. However, we have no answers and we can't ask Israel Keyes because he died in December of 2012 by suicide in his jail cell at Anchorage Correctional Complex. Because he's a coward. He's the... Oh, my God. He is one of the worst. Someone requested him and it just I don't have the energy to do Israel Keys yet because I hate him. During um, all this, there was a website that was set up by Lauren's family, as well as a Facebook page and a group. The Facebook is called the official Lauren Spear updates from her family. And on June 3rd of 2023, Lauren's mother posted a heartfelt message on the page. A trip to the grocery store, an expiration date on a milk carton, the universe's not-so-subtle reminder that another June 3rd approaches. I don't need a reminder. I wear June 3rd like a shroud. I leave the milk. It is what it is. Lauren is a memory that lives in my heart. What could have been? I'll never know. So much untaped poten untapped potential. Too many broken hearts left in the wake of destruction. What happened to Lauren could have happened to anyone. I think most college students believe they are invincible. I think Lauren trusted that she was safe. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong people. She wasn't careful and she wasn't safe. Someone with means, motive, and opportunity waited for her, held out the hand she took, and just like that, she was gone. There have been lies and in inconsistencies from the beginning. 
I guess that's always how it is in any case. Self-preservation above all, but someone knows what happened. Someone is responsible. I've been schooled in the art of not sharing information. Fruit of the poisonous tree. What parent would ever risk saying something that would compromise an investigation into their daughter's disappearance? Even now, even here, I consider my every word. I take care. If you knew Lauren before her disappearance, or if you came to know her afterwards, give her a thought today. Consider that in the time it takes you to remember something about Lauren, someone could have called 911, and this tragedy would have never happened. Twelve years you have kept your secret. Twelve years we have continued our search. I write today as a reminder that we will never stop. That's so sad. It's powerful, though. Yeah, her mom is very, um, she's well written. She, she she posts stuff and it's always just like so heartfelt. You can tell that she she just genuinely wants answers. On the website, there's a donation button and her mother's post about Lauren as well on that website. So I want Kylie to read another thing. Our daughter, Lauren Spear, disappeared on June 3rd, 2011. Every time we write, think, or, think or utter those words, we riveted back to the afternoon we received the phone call about her disappearance. It is impossible to explain, as we continue to search for Lauren, what the experience of having a missing child is like. If you are reading this, you have most likely been introduced to Lauren. Whether you watched a show, listened to a podcast, read a blog, saw something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you may know her story. If anyone has any information about the disappearance of our daughter, Lauren Spear, please contact us. We continue to search for answers. As always, hoping today is the day. Oh my God, it's so sad. Every- I just got chills. Like, I just, I want her to have answers. I yeah, want like, how could you, like... And Lauren has a sister. Like, her sister probably yeah. had to, like, endure so many of these moments where, like, they, her... Lauren's sister and her parents probably had to endure so many like close calls where they're like, is this the one like getting a phone call in the middle of the night being like we found another remains or like them seeing right. something on the news being like, oh, my God, a body was found. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah. You're it's just so like scary. always living, living in those like not like walking on eggshells, but just like moments of. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to explain that. Yeah. People say that they remember Lauren's smile, her personality, her happiness her zest for life. The national press covered the disappearance extensively, but despite the thorough search, Lauren still remains missing and her case is still unsolved, even in 2023. Her body has never been found and police have executed 10 search warrants in the recent years with no results that the public has been notified of yet. If you know anything about Lauren's case, you can call the Bloomington Police Department at 812-339-4477 or email at helpfindlauren at gmail.com. You can also access any of the sites and stuff, and you guys can look up and read more that her family's written, that, like, her friends have written. Uh, There's, like, a memorial part on the Lauren website where you can, like, write a story or even, like, write how hearing Lauren's stories impacted your life or, yeah, impacted your life and stuff. Like, her family's, they're, it's, they're on it. My sources for tonight's episode, I used a bunch of websites because they really helped break it down, and they were all from, like, news articles and stuff. But it also helped because I use the actual websites. So uh, like that her family set up. So I used a website by All That's Interesting, one by WTHR 13 News. I used the website her family set up as well as information from her family. 
I used USA Today, Fox 59 News, the Indy Star, the Indianapolis News and headlines as well. And then I did actually look into a little bit of the Bloomington um, school like newspaper articles that they had about her. So that is Lauren Spear. Wow. Mm -hmm. I forgot. I had something I was going to say at the beginning of this episode and I, I fudged up and I forgot to say it. I was talking to one of our listeners the other day on Instagram and her name is Sarah and Sarah and I were talking and she's like, I have to tell you something crazy. And I was like, what's up? She sent me a link. A person died the other day by electrocution because they jumped in Lake Lanier. Oh, <gasps> no way. Yeah. Um, oh, I hope this doesn't play something. Uh, they just died. July 30th. They just jumped in like a normal person would jump into a lake and died. 24-year-old Thomas Milner was killed on Thursday. He jumped into the water near his family's dock only to start screaming moments later and calling for help. He was being electrocuted from something within the lake itself. Nope. I will never. I will not. I will not go in that lake. Yeah. It's 100% it? haunted. Like so many people have died in that lake. Um, It's just that's... <sighs> Oof. It that's a scary place. I that's cannot. scary. Like you could possibly jump in and die. Yeah. From just being in the water. <laughs> so many people have literally just that's all they did was they jumped in and they died. Mm -hmm. Nope. That's a lot to think about. You're like, I'm going to jump in and have a good time swimming in a lake with my friends and family. And then you die. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard that one, that's probably one of our really wild ones is we have a multi-part Lake Lanier thing. And it's kind of like we tell cryptid stories. We tell true murder stories in it. We tell a lot of stuff that happens in Lake Lanier. It's super weird because there's there's a lot. I was trying to find the rest of the article, but um, the, the problem is, is they do news articles every single day. Mm. Yeah. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um. Oh my gosh, I'm still a month away. No, I'm not going to find this right now. I'm sorry. But yeah, so that's that. Isn't that crazy? I forgot to bring that up. Thanks, Sarah, for giving me that link. Sarah always sends me really funny things. Uh, no, that one's not funny. She does send me funny things. <laughs> but not good that save, one. Good save. <laughs> um, Sarah sends me really funny things. I really love her. She's one of our really good listeners. And um, she sends me really funny things. But then she'll also randomly in the midst of them be like, Speaking of, did you hear about this crazy case of this like person that was murdered? And I'm like, oh, OK, Sarah, uh, we're changing what we're talking about right now. That's that's really good to know. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and she'll be like, anyways, so you said this word wrong in last week's episode. And I'm like, oh, we're back to that. OK, fun, fun hangs. Thank you. Um, she's also like, uh, hey, people have to keep you accountable. <laughs> she's given me some like recommendations on other podcasts to listen to because she knows that I'm like all caught up on all mine and she she's good she knows the right vibes she's recommended me only only hits she's like on the the deep cuts she's a good one so so thank you sarah and thank you everybody else that's here with us <laughs> thank you to everyone that helps make this podcast what it is because you're part of the csp community and family it helps us because it like gets us the motivation to want to keep doing this it is a lot of work having a podcast. If you guys don't know, it's a lot of editing and writing and working and talking and thinking and planning and preparing and podcasts are not as yeah. easy as people think. Yeah. You're not just like sitting down and being like, I'm going to talk into a mic for an hour and a half. Unless you have one of those really fun, like I get drunk and I talk with my friends podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, which is at cryptic soup pod. Our DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. We have the discord. It's been working. It's been up. It's been running. We've been talking. Go join it. 
Um, all of our links can also easily be found at crypticsoupod.com. And uh, the Discord link is on there. So go join it. Um, once you join the Discord, it will automatically pop you into an area to introduce yourself. So if you do that, we will shout you out. Any kind of Apple podcast review and rating or Spotify ratings is always a great thing because it helps get our name out there and you can say something nice about us. Remember to join the conversation where we'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>